Hey everyone, it's Leanne from the Alberta Motorcycle Safety Society and welcome to Think Bike, a podcast about all things motorcycle and the voice of motorcycle safety and awareness in Alberta. We will talk about everything from tips and myths on gear, maintenance, techniques, education, and so much more with our very informed guests. So thank you for joining us today. On today's podcast, we are doing part two of Take It to the Salt. And our special guest today is Kim Krebs, all the way from Australia. We are being very international. Welcome to our little podcast, Kim. Thank you very much, Leanne. So a funny thing happened uh, a little few months ago where our gentleman who writes our monthly news tip for our website mentioned you in his article, not knowing that we know each other, which was pretty (laughs) funny. And he was talking about world's fastest women. And well, how many records do you have in land speed racing? Oh, I'm going to embarrass myself (laughs) now and actually not, not know. Um, (laughs) um, That probably means uh, a luxuriously large number but I, I do know that I still hold some current records. Um, so I'm going to take a punt and say I've probably got about six or seven records that are still valid. Um, uh, my best being uh, 241.blah, uh, which was on the Hayabusa. Uh, that Erin uh, Sills recently, oh, actually a couple of years ago, nudged by less than half a mile an hour. Uh, oh. And probably the record I'm most proud of is 229 miles an hour on uh, the 750, the GSR 750. That's a pretty stout record, uh, and I seem to be the only one nudging it. So um, the fastest I've gone on the 750 is 239, so um, 250, maybe 250s for 2022. Oh, that would be amazing. So when we're talking those numbers, that for everybody listening in Canada, that is in miles per hour, correct? Yes. Yeah. Look, I should, I should admit that even in Australia, we, we talk kilometers, but um, uh, because it's an American, it started as an American game, I easily fall into the miles per hour. Plus when I tell my mum the speeds I do, it doesn't sound as bad. <laughs> I went through the same thing with my mom when I raced the Daytona that one year. And I'm like, no, that's miles, mom, which she (laughs) didn't say for speed. (laughs) Exactly. So your records um, last last week, we talked about AMA, which I educated our Alberta people. It's not just the Alberta Motor Motor Association. It is the American Motorcycle Association. Are your records AMA or are they FIM or Uh, both? Both. Both. So um, the 750 record uh, is uh, FIM and AMA, but I actually set those records at two different events. Um, So it was just a coincidence. And I can try and do that to set top speeds at two separate events with the same number. Um, uh, I set the FIM at the Cooks Shootout, which um, your listeners might know is a, a by invitation event. And uh, that same year, I did 229 as my two-way record at the, um, oh, I think it might have been the World of Speed, actually. Um, so so just the yeah, same speed, but two different events, so two very different records. Uh, but my, um, my outright fastest record was uh, at BMST uh, back in, gosh, what feels like a lifetime ago, 2016, I think. <laughs> Which is where we met. 
It's the greatest motorcycle only event on earth. Indeed, indeed, and uh, five days of fantastic fun, or as as our lamb would describe it, a week long party with moments interrupted by moments of sheer terror. <laughs> that is true, and man, that that man uh, cooks up a mean brisket, smoking all day indeed. out there. Yeah. All right, I got a tough one for you. F I M. Are you going to pronounce what it stands for, or am I? <laughs> Uh, you probably are. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try this in my best. Um, I don't speak French very much anymore. FIM stands for Fédération Internationale de Motocyclisme, and so obviously they are a world type of record, whereas AMA is more just in the states, I believe. That's right. Yep. Yeah. And in, when you go land speed racing in Australia, you're setting a Dry Lake Races Australia DLRA record. Right. And then you have some of the events like the Speed Week is the Southern California Timing Association, SCTA, right? That, that's right. And um, it's not recognized by the American Motorcycling, Motorcycling Association. So it's not an AMA record. It's, it's essentially a club record. Right. But because there aren't very many clubs that do it, uh, I don't know. I, I'm pretty confident you can say it's a, still a pretty sturdy record, even if it's not <laughs> classified by AMA. <laughs> and and you mentioned dry lakes, so you have this um, amazing opportunity to race on two different continents. Um, I don't. You haven't gone to Bolivia, correct? Uh, it's on my to do list. It's on the to do. Uh, yeah. But so, what would be the comparison between Lake Gardner and Bonneville? Geez, it's it's literally and figuratively worlds apart, Leanne. Um, the 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 lake that we race on in Australia is in um, the middle of South Australia, which basically is picture Australia, and we're just pretty almost in the middle of the country. And um, it's uh, 160. I'll revert to kilometres now. 160 <laughs> kilometres of dirt road. Uh, the nearest town is 250 kilometres away. Uh, so even just on the logistics side of things, uh, you are literally in the middle of nowhere. And um, I hope I'm allowed to swear on your podcast, Dan, but we, the dirt road we call the dickhead filter. Uh, if you're not prepared to, to travel across that 160 kilometres of corrugated, horrible dirt road with um, potholes that are full of bulldust, uh, if you're not prepared to go there, bringing everything with you, then uh, you're, yeah, you're you're not sort of cut out for the sort of playing that we do. So it's really quite remote. Um, whereas in Bonneville, it's the I-80, the biggest freeway in the United States, goes through uh, the Bonneville Salt Flats. And there's um, the, the boat ramp, we call it. There's a sealed road that goes right into the lake. So even just on the, the um, access side of things, they're very, very different. But then when it comes to the actual salt, they're also extremely different. Um, lake Gardner is an ancient lake, so, so is Bonneville, but it hasn't been touched ever. It's all, it's just still in its natural, pristine state. And the the lake, we just race in a tiny little bay and it's, um, uh, on average, it's between one and four metres thick salt. Whereas in Bonneville, uh, it's... Um, it's wafer thin. You know, we're, we're actually racing on the part of the lake that's uh, a refinery. They are, um, every winter when the lake floods, they harvest the water, there's evaporation ponds, and that's partly why you might have heard of the Save the Salt campaign 
where they're trying to coordinate with uh, the industries around there to put salty water back onto the lake because it's slowly disappearing. Yeah. So when it comes to the actual, um, the salt texture is different. So in, in America, it's like fine grains of sand, whereas the salt in Australia is, is, is platelets of sand. It's, it's very, very different, um, not to mention we're at sea level uh, in Australia and um, I think it's 4,800 feet. Man, I just I'm oscillating between metric and imperial, um, but you know, you lot are clever. You'll figure it out. <laughs> We're smart in Canada. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, does that make it like the thickness of the salt? Like, I'm I'm shocked because I we've talked about like Gardner before, and I I that was one tip that we never talked about. That thickness of it does it make the salt easier to ride on and faster because of like the elevation or, you know, do you see that difference in the setup for your motorcycle and like safety overall? Yeah, it's, um, I guess even though the salt is thick in Australia, it's still, it's still salt. So it's still unpredictable. Uh, we still have, um, just like in America when it rains or during the wet season, there'll be water sitting on top of the lake. Uh, and most of the time it'll, it'll evaporate. We've got like evaporations three times the, the rate of, um, rainfall, Mind you, it is currently wet at the moment, but it is winter for us. Um, uh, so the surface is just as susceptible to moisture as it is in America, but um, uh, unlike in America, uh, it, because the salt isn't so thin, it, it heals really quickly. Um, but the big difference is actually the elevation. So we ride turbocharged bikes, so thin air, the thinner the air, the faster we go. Uh, and uh, if you're running naturally aspirated, bikes or cars, um, it's actually an advantage to be at sea level because literally there's more oxygen to ram into the engine um, uh, without it being forced. So we, um, we're we typically uh, 20 miles an hour slower in Australia than we are in America. So, for example, my fastest speed on the 750 in Australia is only 213 miles an hour. Only. hard work. Only. Hard work. <laughs> yeah, only. Yeah. <laughs> I have expectations, Leanne. <laughs> I remember um, 2017, I believe it was, uh, I think it was the year after I raced the Daytona and I was helping our friend Doug Cawthon try and hit 200 that year. So I was driving his truck and picking him up mm. on the other side. And I remember going out to get him and we had turned around and we were heading back to the pits and I was like, hey, what's that? I wonder what that is. And he saw a white swirly salt swirl. And I'm like, not the white, the black, the black smoke. Kim, what did you do that year? <laughs> uh, well, Leanne, um, I'll set a bit of context. We're very good at braking engines. Um, our, our bikes are um, late model, uh, late 90s model Suzuki's. So we get them because because um, uh, we do brake engines all the time and um, uh, the spare parts are easy to get. Uh, so on that particular instance, I was hurtling down the track. I think I hadn't, I hadn't quite entered the measured mile, and um, uh, the bike died on me, you know. And I'm just kind of, you know, I'm I'm inside my helmet, like I was in the super fast mode, still building up speed. Would have been uh, probably somewhere north of 200 miles an hour, and um, and the bike. This is, so this is just my perspective. The bike stopped. The bike, the engine just went put. 
and uh, you know the the first couple of seconds in your head you're just kind of going no, <laughs> and in fact the data afterwards revealed that, that that's exactly what happened. There was a, there was a couple of seconds before I started to switch things off, um, uh, and I I didn't realise it, but um, so I knew something was wrong. And um, I don't know if you've ever explained to your listeners, but uh, the rule of thumb is something goes wrong with your bike and you're in control, you take your veer to the, the left, you get off the racetrack to the left. But if something's not going to your favour, you veer off to the right. And that's a signal to the emergency responders that uh, they need to come and attend. So um, I'm kind of, you know, I denial. I came to terms with the fact that my bike had died. I'd obviously hurt the engine. So I'm starting to veer off to the left. When I realised it was quite, I was getting quite hot um, and and I uh, I looked down and I'm still in race mode. I'm still crouched down behind the screen because I'm doing, uh, you know, 360 kilometres an hour uh, and I realised I was on fire. Uh, <laughs> and then I had my second point of denial because of going, no, that means I have to go to the right, not to the left. <laughs> How embarrassing. Um, so I was totally oblivious to what it looked like from a distance um, and uh, the whole time that uh, uh, not aware that I was leaving a lovely trail of black smoke or anything like that, uh, I was just slowing down and as I was, I should also say that uh, with our bikes we don't have um, uh, lever brakes, we just have foot brake and we just have a rear brake, not a front brake, mainly because land speed racing is not about stopping, it's about going fast. So we, we have very tokenistic brakes to get us through the pits. Um, so I'm trying to slow down, but every time I put my foot on the brake, I was actually putting my foot into the fire. So um, I'd kind of have to uh, put my foot in the fire, tap on the brake, then put my dangle my foot out and just kept on doing that uh, until I could wash off enough speed uh, and uh, eventually um, I decided I could probably jump off at the speed I was doing and uh, and I did and I was going fairly slow by then uh, and I think just adrenaline and all the rest of it, uh, I did a very nice tidy exit off the bike, uh, had one of the, the track inspectors, TR, he was the first on the scene, um, checked that I was okay and uh, uh, I did see I did see some very spectacular pictures afterwards um, uh, I didn't realise I was, you know, yeah, had that black smoke, Leanne. I just thought I'd hurt my engine again. <laughs> I just remember seeing, like, the big plume of black smoke. And when Doug finally saw it, he's like, oh, my God, you got to go find out who that was and if they're okay. <laughs> and that was the first time I met Kim Krebs was I found you in the pits. And I'm like, oh, my God, are you okay? And, oh, yeah, I just burnt my calf. We're good. <laughs> like, <laughs> nothing happened. <laughs> Do you have any other like fantastic stories? Maybe not, you know, almost, you know, setting yourself on fire or anything, but what's some of your favorite moments of salt racing or land speed racing? Yeah, look, I'm, I, I touch wood. I've uh, been very lucky that I've, um, I've not had any accidents. That's been the, the worst that I had and I've, and I've kept it upright. So I'm very grateful. Um, I do have, um, uh, you know, you have lots of little hiccups along the way, but I probably um, another story worth telling is um, a, a few years ago, uh, uh, hmm, I'm gonna, and I, I should remember the year, but I'll say it was probably around about 2015 maybe, um, uh, after BMST, so Bonneville Motorcycle Speed Trials uh, in Utah, we then headed over to Colorado to do the the mile where it's a you're on an international runway, uh, the, the Denver uh, runway in Colorado, 
and um, it's a standing start one mile and you have a third of a mile to stop. And uh, the rider briefing was very much targeting, okay, who are the, the salt racers? And then we got a very stern talking to about it's not just going fast, it's about stopping as well. There's two elements to the whole game. Um, but like land speed racing on the salt, you have to do uh, um, uh, qualification runs, so 125, 150, 175. But our bikes don't have speedos. You know, we're just designed to just wring its neck as fast as it goes, 100% throttle. Um, and so doing the speed checks was just very challenging. So um, I did the 120, 125, did the 150. I was supposed to be doing the 175. And um, uh, we what, what we did is we downloaded a speedo app on our phone and we just gaffer taped the phone to the to the triple camp and I'm looking at this speedo and um but I spent the whole time looking at it that I just you know I fluffed the ride you know I just didn't I spent more time looking at my my clock for the speedo to get it right uh that um I you know I had to line up again and I'm going I said to my race team which is Greg Waters and Jim Higgins I said come on boys I'm just not going to what are they going to do? They're going to ban me from the Colorado mile if I break the speed limit. So I decided I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't look at the speedo the next time round. Um, <clears throat> there's before I tell about the accident or the incident, I should say. Um, uh, they say at the briefing that um, when you when you cross the the measured mile, there's some really large flags, and if you're not breaking by that, that point, uh, you're probably going to be in a bit of strife. Uh, so you know, go keep that in your mind about breaking early. Anyway, I decided I'd line up again. This time I wasn't going to look at the speed. I was just going to wring its neck uh, because and concentrate more on the stopping at the other end because I know how to go fast. Uh, so anyway, I didn't look at the speedo, hurtled through, and um, then I realised that, that, you know, the warning flags, um, they'd, they'd just gone past and I hadn't started braking yet. Uh, and, of course, I might have mentioned with my other story that our brakes aren't particularly good, although we did install some front brakes for this. I am just heavy on the brakes. I ended up going my 175. I did 208, so I broke the you know, you know, race director wasn't going to give me my 175 license with the 208 pass. Anyway, I can now tell you that when the bitumen of a runway ends and you're onto the dirt, that dirt is like a ploughed paddock. Oh my, wow, it was bumpy, uh, and and uh, I'm. Uh, another part of the briefing that they tell you about, Leanne, is if you hit the um, airport runway lights at the end of the strip, if you hit them, they cost $10,000 each and you will get charged for it. Um, so they've got a couple of cones in front to, you know, tell you not to hit them. I didn't hit them, but I'm barreling towards them going, don't hit them, don't hit them. And I'm going, the gap's so small between them, you know, and I'm just concentrating. But I did, you know, classic dirt bike style, you know, I kind of hard on the brakes. Then as soon as I changed from the bitumen to the dirt, back off the brakes and try it again and I eventually uh, stopped. I think I went about 100 metres into this ploughed up paddock. Uh, but then my bike stalled. So that would have been, I would have been fine. I would have ridden out with pride, but my bike stalled and we couldn't get it started again. Uh, so needless to say, I got into serious trouble um, uh, for um, not only not going 175 but doing 208 but also not stopping at the other end. Uh and when I looked after, I looked back at it later, um, 
as I'm hurtling down the track thinking that those um, runway lights were really close together, they weren't. They were miles apart. I was never going to hit them, but the world is a very different shape when you're going um, crazy speeds and you don't know what's going to happen next. So I have to be honest, Leanne, I hope that that's as bad as it gets for me is just some wayward errands. So are you going to get invited back or have you been on? Did you go uh, so back? I ended up getting... I ended up getting my 200 license uh, for uh, the one mile, and uh, I have to admit that time hasn't allowed us to go back, but I think I am allowed to go back. Actually, as it turns out, I'm wearing my Colorado one mile jumper today. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That's actually a point that I never talked about last week. Um, last week, just so you know, I was talking with um, our, my my teammate, uh, Neil Olson, about the builder perspective, like the, the people who build their bikes to go out there on those classic vintage or, you know, or mm. whatever. And we talked about, you know, all the stuff you have to haul out and everything. We never talked about the distances that, and this is a question I get a lot, so I'm actually being selfish about recording these podcasts, so I don't have to explain it anymore and I can have people just listen to my podcast. Um, There's different distances depending on what you're racing to get up to the time mile. And Mm. it ranges from, I know for, for my people, because we're on the smaller, more vintage, slower, not so fast bikes, they have one mile. You guys have how many we can have up to three miles uh, run up. So uh, you have a choice of starting at the zero or um, or the one mile. So if you start at the zero, you've got three miles before you've got the first um, uh, timing lights. Uh, if you're not quite that fast, you can start at the, the one. Uh, so we typically use three miles to get up to speed. Uh, usually we are at speed by about the two but it means that if, if you're not quite, you're still accelerating, you're still getting your body in the right shape, you've still got a mile. Um, but that said, though, Leanne, at the speeds we're doing, you've still only got about 15 seconds. Um, that's what we're travelling our mile at. So uh, if you're not quite right, you know, um, you can waste the first mile. And that's okay because the measure, your, your average speed is recorded between the three and the four, the four and the five, and the five and the six. So as long as your engine's holding up, you do actually have uh, a couple of opportunities to, to set your record. But, yeah, we typically use three miles. Um, we were at a, um, a cook shootout a few years ago and there was a competitor there, uh, Jamie Williams, who had a skidoo. I'm from the Southern Hemisphere. We don't have skidoos. This bike, which wasn't obviously a bike, and he'd, he'd changed the skids to, um, to wheels, he only needed a half-mile run-up to be doing already 160 miles an hour. Like that thing was insane. Um, I can't even begin. Okay, it might've been slightly modified, but like <laughs> insane. <laughs> that's absolutely crazy. And then of course, because that surface is so sketchy to begin with, like when you come out the other side, like you said, you don't have brakes and there's probably a good reason for that. You don't want to sit up and brake at the speeds you're going at bad things happen, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the whole idea is once you've passed the measured mile and you don't think you're going any faster, I just, and as do most riders, I would hope, you just slowly shut the throttle down because you don't want to just snap it shut because you could get a, an engine compression lock. You just slowly back it off and I'll, I'll use a mile and a half, maybe even two miles uh, to then before I peel off the, the track. Um, that said, you can stop quicker, but... Um, 
why not just soak up the minutes, the seconds that you've got on the salt? So uh, I often just, yeah, um, let the engine just do the work. And then it's only once uh, once you um, probably doing uh, would be less than 100 miles an hour that you can uh, sit up and, and actually relax and, and go, okay, I've done it. Because uh, then you've got to peel off to the right and then make your way back to the pits. Yeah, I had uh, the year before I met you officially, um that was the year Mark Bjorklund got his 200 mile an hour coin on that lay down dual Ducati yes. contraption yes. that they built, which was pretty cool. Yeah. And because I knew him, I had gone to him the day before I went out to get my 150 coin and asked him for advice because like aside from Doug and he was so focused on his own stuff, nobody else I knew went that fast. Now I know all of you and it's like... 155 is enough for me. I don't know how you guys do that. But that body position that you have, you guys are just so tight and small. Like it's all aerodynamics, right? It is. It is. And for us, um, so we, our bikes are not, you know, at a rough glance, at a quick look, you'd actually kind of think that our bikes look like stock bikes. Uh, the bodywork that we use is just it's tinkering around the edges because there are some, you know, the Suzuki's made some very aero bodywork um, as stock, but yeah, we, we generally are tucked right in and I'm, I'm fortunate. I'm, I'm not a big person. So I hide really well behind the bodywork. Um, my shoulders are, are within the bodywork. You know, my, my race mates, uh, Greg and Jim, they're taller, broader in the shoulders. And so uh, that just makes it um, a bit more of an advantage for me. Um, but that, that said, though, uh, it still takes a lot of strength to hold onto a bike that's very aerodynamic um, and is basically trying to, to kick you off. You know, the, the, um, the aerodynamics is really, it comes into its own around about 175 miles an hour, which ironically, Leanne, is where you've got to sit for one of the, the license runs is 175 miles an hour. And that's where you're transitioning from mechanical drive to aerodynamics. And uh, it's a a zone which can, um, it's really unsettling because basically you've got a high speed weave from the bike and you have a tendency to get a tank slapper at the same time. And if you're doing your 175 license pass, you've actually got to sit in that zone, you know, for three miles. It's just extremely unpleasant. But we're really lucky though. Our bikes have got heaps of um, horsepower and we can push through that. But the whole time, even though, um, yeah, we can push through that sort of um, transition zone, you are, um, you're aerodynamic, but you are battling it. And you're also really susceptible to crosswinds. So, you know, even though Mark's bike that you were talking about, beautiful, slippery bike, but crosswinds, that's our biggest um, uh, enemy, really, because our track is only uh, 30 metres wide. And a, a a gentle breeze, a big gust. Um, it can not knock me off the track, but I have had many battles, which has been terrifying where you're just the slightest breeze and you're out of control of those, at that pace that we set. If there was one tip that you could give our listeners aside from get out and try the salt, like we need more Canadians down there. Let's face that. If there was one tip that you could give our listeners, what, what do you think it would be? Believe in yourself uh, and if you build bikes uh, with other people and you're part of a team, believe in them because if you if you have a second doubt, if you have any doubt, then uh, you're not you're not achieving what you're capable of. 
Uh, and I think it's really important, Leanne, that yes, I'm really fortunate to be able to ride a bike and be able to ride a bike that goes fast. But it really, for all of your listeners, it's about having a go, building whatever bike you can and seeing what it's capable of. Uh, for some bikes, that achievement of building your own bike and doing whatever speed, 100 miles an hour, 150 miles an hour, 155 miles an hour, that's a personal achievement that almost no one will ever have a, have under their belt. So believe in yourself, believe in people around you who are supporting you and um, just have a go. It's well, extremely satisfying and you meet the nicest people. <laughs> you do. They say that about Hondas, but really it's about the salt. You meet the nicest people on the salt. So this episode, oddly enough, we recorded way earlier than when it's airing right now, which is the Wednesday of BMST week. So I'm really hoping we're all having a really good time. And that's all I'm going to say about that because I'm not jinxing anything. Okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. We'll be, we'll be flying. And we'll be hanging out in the Motel 6 parking lot. That's the, that's the other fun thing. Kim, thank you so much for taking the time to join us all the way from Australia. That like It means a lot to me that you took time out of your schedule to do this. Um, you're one person I absolutely love seeing every year. And, you know, out, coming out of COVID, it's really great that you guys get to come back again because you've been missed. I'll yeah, say that. We have, we, have, we have missed being there, Leanne. We've got such an international family. Uh, and yeah, the Motel's, Motel 6 car park is going to be a hoot. It's long overdue. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, thank you again so much for helping us talk a little bit more about the international feel and the fast flyers of the Bonneville Salt Flats or Salt Racing, Land Speed Racing everywhere. To make sure that you don't miss out on any of our upcoming podcasts or listen to previous ones, make sure you click on subscribe, follow wherever you get your podcast ear candy from. If there's a topic that you'd like us to cover or a guest you think would be great on the show, let us know. How? Well, you can follow us on all the socials or reach out to us through our website at ab-amss.org or email me directly at info at ab-amss.org. Always remember to ride smart, ride safe, and think bike. We will see you out on the road.